We all have a choice. Will I be ruined by regret or rise above it? Regret comes in all forms. We can all think of missed opportunities or loss. Maybe because of our choices or from the choices of others. But there is one who is at work within us. He takes our brokenness and makes us whole. He builds us. He restores us. Let us keep our eyes and heart on him because he is guiding us on the road back from regret. Well, we're going to continue today taking a look at the book of Nehemiah as we uh, look at how he found the road back from regret. Now, yesterday was a very good day, a very good day if you're University of Washington Husky. It was a very hard day if you're an Oregon Duck. The Huskies have great joy today, and the Ducks have a lot of regrets. How many know what I'm talking about? Lots and lots of regrets. It's the way it should be. The, the, the world is in a proper orbit right now, and so that's very exciting. You know, regrets come in all sorts of shapes and sizes. Some are really, really big regrets. Some might be smaller regrets. I thought about that this uh, past Thursday as I, uh, I get into the office early every morning, and Thursdays is especially hectic as, uh, you know, everything needs to come together. I need to video the sermon and do a couple other videos. And so from early to morning to kind of uh, mid-afternoon, it's kind of a full-court press to meet some deadlines. And wouldn't you know it, uh, on that busy day, uh, the computers just didn't work. How many know uh, we can't live without them, but sometimes it's hard to live with them? Anybody been there? And so I'm three hours on the phone with uh, our tech people, and they can't figure it out. Finally, I have to pack up, go home, use uh, my uh, computer there, and I'm able to get on, get everything finished. Well, on my way out of the office, you know, I'm feeling sorry for myself, and I walk to the end of the hall, and there's Alden. First time I had seen him all week. Uh, Alden had been out of the office taking care of his house because a big tree fell on his house uh, during the storm. And uh, it, it smashed his deck, it crushed his kitchen, it wiped out his bathroom, uh, water is everywhere. They had to bring engineers out to figure out what all these cracks mean. And, uh, you know, the skylight shattered. And uh, he says, you know, I was in that very uh, uh, kitchen uh, just before the tree fell, but my wife asked me to come to another room, so I had just left and with a big smile on his face, he said, man, I'm just so glad nobody got hurt. I walked out of his office with my tail between my legs, feeling sorry for myself because my dumb little computer wouldn't work. And here this guy has all this he's dealing with, with a great attitude. Regrets, they come in every shape, size, form. Some are small, some are big. Some, you know, we're losing time because of this mishap, others... You know, half of our house has been demolished, it seems like. And, uh, and then there's even greater regrets where uh, lives are injured and uh, on and on it goes. Well, we're talking about the road back from regret. How do we deal with negative experiences, painful experiences, negative emotions? How do we work our way through those and out of those? And I believe Nehemiah has a lot to share with us again here today. We've been walking through these eight different principles or steps. And week number one, we talked about how we need to realize that we are in a difficult situation. That's what Nehemiah did in Nehemiah chapter one. Uh, he faced the facts. He, uh, he said, hey, this is really, really bad and something's got to change. And then what Nehemiah did in step number two is he repented. He said, God, you know, I'm responsible. Our people are responsible because of our sin. This has happened and we confess our sin and we want to repent and turn from our sin. And then he decided that risk was worth uh, 
you know, the recovery, rather, was worth the risk. And so he chose to recover, and he stepped out at great personal risk and went to the king and asked permission to leave, and we talked through all of that here a few weeks ago. He rebounded. He recreated a, a recovery plan, lots of detail, lots of steps involved in getting supplies, logistics, and permission, and authority, and, and safe passage. And uh, he put together a recovery plan. And then he put in the work. We talked about this last week. The rebuilding process began. He put in the work, and day by day, brick by brick, gate by gate, section of the wall by section of the wall, they went at it, and they made the effort to, uh, to rebound. Today I want to talk about a resolve we need to make. If we're going to rebound from seasons of regret, we need to resolve to overcome opposition. Have you ever felt any adversity in life? Anybody experienced any opposition in life? The answer is yes, we all have. Well, what can we learn from Nehemiah in this regard? You know, there are many, many books out there that talk about human resiliency, and I've shared these three that are on screen right here. Uh, that really talk about uh, uh, overcoming hardship. And each of these have a forward trajectory in their, their subtitle. And these aren't really Christian books. And, and, and the point that I want to make again here today is there are a lot of people that rise above regret and they, and they recover from challenges in life just by sheer human resiliency. How much more should people of God, people of faith, you and me who believe in the power of Jesus Christ, how much more should we have hope that we can overcome whatever we're going through? Nothing is impossible with God. The very power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. One of these books talks about a world uh, regret survey where 105 different countries uh, submitted just thousands and thousands of respondents. And they categorized them into foundation, boldness, moral, and connection regrets. We've talked about this in the past. We won't do it again here today. But I like to think about regrets more in three categories. Things that people do to us, things that we do to ourselves, misopportunities, sin, things of that nature, and things that just happen to us, you know, just the trees falling on our house, things of that nature. You know, regrets come in different shapes, sizes, and they come at us in different kinds of ways. Nehemiah, as we've looked at this timeline in the past, finds himself in 430 B.C. allowed to go back and rebuild the wall. Great problems had happened to Israel. They had been, they sinned against God. They were taken captive. Uh, Jerusalem, in this case, was destroyed and one by one, they were able to go back, and the temple was rebuilt. Uh, Ezra went back to restore spiritual uh, uh, living in the, in, the, in the land. And now Nehemiah had to go back and rebuild the wall, which was really, really pivotal, because without a wall, the temple would be destroyed again. Worship wasn't, wouldn't be allowed to continue. Uh, their wives, their children, their livelihood would have been vulnerable to the enemy. You've got to have a wall. In that day, a city without a wall was no city at all. You needed the wall. And Nehemiah had a lot of adversity, a lot to overcome, but he said, I'm in, let's do this. Everybody experiences regret. You, me, Nehemiah, everybody. It's, it's part of what it means to be human. We experience regret. Each week I've shared just a little sliver of the story of Edie Egger, uh, the young girl, age 16, taken to Auschwitz. Her parents killed, other family members killed, 
just a horrific, horrific story. She talks about from her hometown, 15,000 people were deported and only 70, 70 survived. She tells a story of a death march where two sons were marching on either side of their father and the father was gunned down right in front of everybody. She talks about going on her own death march with a broken back and how devastatingly painful that was. And she talked about how healing later from a broken back took a long, long time, but healing from a broken heart took a lot, lot longer. She talks about physiological and psychological recovery and how painful it was. She says there are only two kinds of people in the death camps, those who survived and those who did not. And she said when you were in the death camps, you had to keep yourself encouraged and remember that if you can't find a doorway to go through to move forward, you've got to at least find a window. You have to keep hope alive. You've got to keep moving forward if you're going to survive. I thought that was extremely inspiring, especially coming from someone in her situation. Edie and Nehemiah had something in common, and that was opposition in many different forms. Nehemiah looked his enemies in the face, and he said, do your worst. We are going to continue to move forward. If we can't find doors to go through, we're going to go through windows. We're going to keep moving forward. I love this verse tucked away in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 8. He says to his critics who are ridiculing and pouring on all sorts of criticism, he says, what you're saying, uh, what you are saying uh, is not happening. You are just making this up in your head. <laughs> I love that phrase. You're just making it up. This isn't true. What you're saying isn't true. Our God is with us. We're going to persevere. We're going to move forward. How much sway over your life do you give to negativity, critical thinking, ridicule? How much do you listen to naysayers and people that put you down, even when you do it yourself? It would be unwise and would miss the entire point to say that Nehemiah's story was an easy one. I was sharing with one of the classes here at the church this, uh, this week, our pace setters group actually, saying a lot of time when we read the Bible, we're kind of looking back on what happened and we know the end of the story and how God proved mighty and powerful and how it worked out. But what if we were Moses before the Red Sea parted? What if we were Daniel looking at the hungry lions before he went in? What if we were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego before we went into the fiery furnace? What if we were David before Goliath got hit by the stone? What if we look at it from the beginning? Like, what if we looked at Nehemiah's story not knowing how it would turn out? What if we were in Nehemiah's shoes? Like, real life confronts us so often. Nehemiah's story was very overwhelming. Adversity everywhere. I mean, from the very beginning, he's got to try to figure out how to get there and get the resources and get the authority, safe passage, all those things. And then once he gets there, the enemy is just breathing down his neck at every turn. I mean, he felt trapped. It was like a dead end in so many ways. In Nehemiah chapter 4 and Nehemiah chapter 6, we read about, read about his adversity and his opposition. Sanballat was a chief uh, critic. He was a chief political opponent to Nehemiah. History says he was the governor of Samaria, and another guy, Tobiah, 
probably the governor of the Transjordan. Both of them were there keeping all sorts of ridicule, and they were political opponents, political enemies. Look at what it says here in verse 7. When Sanballat, Tobiah, Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs of Jerusalem had gone ahead, they were angry. And they plotted against Nehemiah and the Israelites. They said, hey, we're going to come and fight you people. We're going to stir up trouble. The strength of the laborers was starting to give out, the Israelites said to one another. We got the enemies on the outside, and we're struggling within. The rubble is just too hard to work around. We just can't rebuild this wall. Oh, and by the way, the enemy's coming, and they say they're going to kill us. They're going to attack us. I mean, the circumstances were bleak. It was very, very dark. I mean, you know... the pressure was mounting, and, and it, was, it was palpable. It was just a very dark environment. Their enemy was real, and so are the enemies we face. And I wonder if any of these enemies are enemies you can relate to here today. I think of people in our church that are experiencing overwhelming circumstances, financially, health-related, relational, job, faith, and you feel like you are facing a dead end. Maybe you're in an environment where there are negative people all around you, negative, negative people hurling criticism and hurt and resentment and rejection, and they're extremely demeaning, and they're just pounding on you all the time. Maybe the emotional stress is just so great that whatever you're going through, there's despair and discouragement. Here's another enemy, our own negative thinking. Some people are really susceptible and vulnerable to negative thinking, kind of like a a hamster on a wheel just going round and round and round. You get locked in on a particular negative thought, and you just keep going round and round and round. You can't get off. Or on a treadmill where you're just burning up a lot of energy but not getting anywhere, just over and over and over and over, thinking those negative, difficult, destructive thoughts sin and disobedience, the devil's distractions. He doesn't always have to get us to sin. He just needs to get us distracted where our priorities are just misguided. And sometimes our own personal devotion is a problem because we're looking at the wrong things. Well, Nehemiah challenges me to resolve to make three choices. If I'm going to overcome opposition of whatever shape, size, significance, whatever its description, if I am going to overcome opposition as he did, I need to resolve to make these three choices. And the first one is I need to choose faith over fear. I need to focus on the size of my God and not the size of my problems. Can I hear a big amen to that? We believe it, but do we do it? That's the challenge here today. I need to focus on the size of my God, not the size of my problems. You know, Nehemiah had to put the the facts of his faith over his feelings because his feelings could have been like this. My problems, my circumstances, my opposition are really huge. And he could have focused completely on that. But instead, he said to himself, my God is bigger than my problems. He's greater than my circumstances. He is more significant than these enemies of mine. What a difference of perspective. We read about his dilemma here in chapter 4, verse 1. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. 
And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Tobiah the Ammonite said, what are they trying to create? Even a fox climbing on that wall would break it down. It's so insignificant. What was Nehemiah's response? He took it in, he understood it for what it was, and he said, hear us, O God. He went to prayer immediately, cried out to God. We are despised. Turn their insults upon them. Give them over to plunder. They're throwing insults insults at us. And in verse 6, he says this. So we rebuilt the wall till all that reached have its height, for the people worked with all of their heart. I'm sure he felt like giving up at certain points. I'm sure he felt like the odds were stacked against him. But the one thing that inspires me that I always, always want to remember, and I want to encourage you to do that as well, is that I must choose faith over fear. The fact of my faith is that my God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything I could ask or think. And no matter how gloomy or how difficult it looks, I choose, I resolve faith. How many are with me? Faith over fear. Fear. Go ahead, put your hands together. Why not? I came across this video that uh, we're going to start rolling right here. It's a video from the Cleveland Clinic. Now, I have no association with the Cleveland Clinic, but, I, but I, uh, someone recommended this, this video uh, in something that I was reading, and I went to it, and I thought, this is deeply moving. It's deeply moving on multiple different fronts. I mean, it shows really, really sad stories. Most of these are health-related, but we can, we can apply them to other circumstances and challenges and regrets and problems. But some are really, really sad stories, and then it's in the middle of some happy stories. Terminal illness, strokes, cancer, a new baby being born, a wedding being planned, And it just reminds me that life is full of both, the the bitter and the sweet, the the happy and the sad, the the joyful and and the difficult. And and how do we deal with both? Hearing that bad news, hearing the doctors say the, the worst word we want to hear, cancer. You know, thinking of a of a woman who'd been married 25 years going to visit her husband who has terminal illness probably for the last time, bringing her daughter to say goodbye to her dad. Regrets, pain, fear, you choose the word that works best for you. I think of this scene right here in the elevator where an elderly gentleman realizes his wife just had a stroke and how is he going to pay for it and take care of her standing next to a woman who is just going through a divorce standing next to a young man who realizes he's going to be a daddy the joys and sorrows of life are everywhere we look so how do we deal how do we overcome the oppositions in our life it's an interesting thing to consider I've been a pastor for over 40 years, and I stand by what I've said all the way through, that to me, the number one reason 
that people struggle in their faith is not, not able to advance forward from regret. They say stuck in the rubble and the broken down walls and they're not able to move forward. And if that's you here today, I want to remind you that our God has a greater plan for you than that. He is more powerful than you will ever know and he wants to take you from where you are and he wants to move you forward. He has plans for you. It doesn't minimize the pain. It doesn't remove the regret, but we choose to rise above it. The second resolve is I need to choose devotion over doubt. Faith over fear, and then devotion over doubt. And one of the things I see in Nehemiah is he chose to look at God. He chose to believe in God. He chose to trust in God. He was going to remain devoted to God even though everything around him said, doubt, 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 doubt. This isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. This isn't work. Friends, it matters what we think. It matters who we look to. If I look to Christ, I am going to be blessed and impressed, and I'm going to be built up. If I look at my circumstances and my own ability, I am going to be discouraged and deal with doubt. It's just an automatic. I know I'm weak. I know I'm not able to do what needs to be done in every situation. I need the Lord. And Nehemiah knew that. And he kept over and over again focusing on God and being concerned about what he thought about and who he looked to. I mean, if he looked at his feelings alone, he would have said, the opposition can destroy us. They're going to overpower us. But he said, God is with us. The fact is, God is with us. He is more powerful than the enemy. He called us to do this work. We're trusting in him. We're going to fulfill the mission. Look in verse uh, 7, chapter 4. When Sambalat, Tobiah, and the Arabs and the Ammonites heard about what was happening, they got very, very angry, and they plotted to come against him, as we read before. The people themselves were very nervous because they were starting to lose their strength. And here's what Nehemiah did in response to all of these problems, from the enemy and even the internal struggles of his own workers. He began to take small little proactive steps forward. He stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall. That's verse 13. And then after he looked things over and worked with people individually, he said this in verse 14. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. When was the last time you said to yourself, I'm serving a God who's great and awesome. Therefore, I don't need to doubt. I don't need to be discouraged. I don't need to despair. It doesn't mean I stop being human. Of course, those emotions are part of life. But at some point, I need to resolve, I am going to overcome this adversity. I am going to overcome this problem. And I am going to keep my eyes on Jesus. And I may take just little, little baby steps, but I'm going to keep moving forward. That will be the trajectory of my life. I resolve to move forward in Christ. Don't be afraid. Fight for your families. Fight your families. You know, I think of uh, some of the stories I've experienced in missions work, just as kind of one area of, of, of people that came to my mind this week. I remember Eric on our first visit to Swaziland, a young, young man, big smile on his face, but his story was just very, very painful. Uh, he was building a church, making bricks, and uh, the equipment uh, kind of got out of his sight somehow, and someone did this when he was expecting that, 
and it severed his arm right in the middle. And I'm just thinking, wow, giving your life to build churches, being a blessing, something like that happens. That's enough to derail most people. But you know, he had a joy about him. We helped uh, provide some finances for training, and he went on to become a pastor. And I'll never forget the huge smile. I mean, biggest smile I've ever seen. And the hope that he had to continue to move forward and not let this thing hold him back. I think of pastors like, uh, like Julio and El in uh, Baracoa, Cuba, and how their churches and homes and families were devastated by Hurricane Matthew, and how they just kept the hope alive and kept looking to Christ. I think of the earthquake damages and all the other issues that our friends in Albania deal with on any uh, ongoing basis, and how they've kept their eyes, and their mind on Christ in the middle of it. I think of the work that we do at the House of Hope. Some of you have just come back from Sumba and how hopeless it is for some of these young people, but then to find hope at the House of Hope and know that they do have a future and they can look to God and and they don't have to live a life of despair and doubt. People everywhere in this room in the chapel in our tradition service right now, in the early service earlier today, everybody listening online, those will catch the message later in the week. Every single one of us understands regret and adversity and trying to overcome this area or that area of our life. And I'm here to remind you that we can have extraordinary hope in Jesus Christ. Not to eliminate problems, problems are part of life, but to help us work through them and overcome them. But we need to resolve I'm going to choose faith over fear, and I'm going to stay devoted to Christ even in times of doubt. And thirdly and finally, I need to choose progress over perfection. Now, at first glance, you may say, well, that one doesn't sound quite as spiritual as the other two, but I think it's abundantly, abundantly spiritual because growth is gradual and ongoing. It's not instant or automatic. It's a process, and I need to have a growth mindset that says I'm going to keep going and I'm going to keep growing. I'm going to keep moving forward, even though I take shots right and left and I'm kind of pushed back and knocked on on the ground once in a while. I get back up, I brush myself off, and I move forward. Nehemiah inspires me as someone that took the shots, kept his eyes on the Lord, and just kept inching forward. He could have said, the enemies are standing in our way. There is no way we're going to finish this project. Might as well give up right now. But he faced everything with facts, the facts of his faith. And he said, you know what? We've made some progress. We've got this thing up to the half, halfway point. If we keep working brick by brick, you know, we're going to get there. Now notice what it says here in verse 16. Notice the dilemma. He lost half of his workforce. Literally. Half of my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears. You got half of them keeping watch while the other half are working. He lost half of his workforce. And then you read a little bit further, and it says, the others worked with one hand and held a weapon in the other hand. I mean, so he's losing a lot of forward momentum by needing to keep watch for the enemy to come. But did that deter him? Did it derail him? Did it totally demolish his his hope and effort? No. He says, perfection was never in the cards for this project anyway. But we're going to persevere. 
and we're going to inch our way forward, and it's going to take twice as long or longer, but we are not giving up. We're not stopping. And that's the attitude we need to have. This marriage that I'm working on and praying about, you say to yourself, you can either give up or you can keep moving forward in Christ. My faith, you know, rebuilding my reputation, you know, completing my education, you know, moving forward in this career, working out of this jam or out of that challenge. We choose not to give up. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears. And God blessed them day by day as they moved forward. Edie said in her story about Auschwitz, she said, there were two words, one we always said and one we could never say. The words were yes and but. When we were fighting for survival, when we were prisoners, we had to always say yes. Yes, we're going to get out of here. Yes, it's going to get better. Yes, we're going to be liberated. It was so stifling and so difficult that we couldn't have any but what if we don't or but what if it gets worse we couldn't entertain that you know a survival mindset is we just had to focus on the yes and then she says once we were liberated the but phrases came flooding in and she shared a few i thought they were quite riveting we have bread to eat once liberated yes we do but we're penniless You're gaining weight now, she had dropped to 70 pounds. Yes, but my heart is so heavy and broken. You're alive. Yes, but my mom is dead. She said we began to live in the yes and the but, the bitter and the sweet, the progress, but not perfection. And we took it one day at a time, one step at a time, and we tried to find our way forward. You and me, we need to take one step at a time, one brick at a time, one wall at a time, one gate at a time, and keep inching forward in our marriage, in our home, in our relationships, in our faith, in our finances, in rebuilding our life, rebuilding our reputation, whatever the situation may be, overcoming that addiction, trying to find our way forward, And the beautiful thing, Christ will help us every step of the way. Would you bow your heads with me? Pastor John tells me, and we talk all the time, he says, Rob, the number of people coming to see us at the Bethany Compassion Center is just at an all-time high. And as we talk about some of the needs, it's just heartbreaking. So many regrets, so many difficulties, so many challenges, but we are there as a lighthouse of hope. And our desire is to bring hope, to let people know there's hope in Christ and we are there to help. Throughout all of our services here today, online and in person, there are many of us that are dealing with challenges and difficulties and hurts and pains and troubles and trials. But my prayer is that God would speak to us individually and that we would choose, resolve deeply overcome opposition, to overcome adversity, to triumph over our trials, 
to move forward. And I don't know who I'm talking to exactly this morning, but I know there are many that if you were honest with yourself, you would say, God is speaking to me today. I need to not give up. I need to choose faith over my fears. I need to choose devotion over the doubts I've been having. And I need to choose to persevere, keep making progress, keep moving forward, and not expect perfection. That's never in the cards. With every head bowed and every eye closed, and I invite everyone in the chapel and everybody online to do this as well. How many within the sound of my voice would say, Pastor Rob, there's some stuff I'm going through and I really need God's help. Would you raise your hand and just hold it high there for a moment? I want to rebound. I want to move forward. I want to find the road back from regret. But I need God's help. I really do. I do want to move forward. I want to overcome. I want to beat what's going on in my life. But I need God's help. Yeah, God bless you. So many, so many hands. In the balcony here on the main floor. I know it's true in the chapel and online as well. I want to thank you for your honesty. And and furthermore, Jesus sees that you're reaching out to him as you raise that hand. He knows intimately everything that's going on in your life, and he can help you. He wants to give you hope. He wants to give you strength. He wants to help you overcome. If you believe that, say amen. I believe it with all my heart. And so today, Lord, we choose faith in you. Today, Lord, we are devoted to you. We're going to listen to your word. We're going to keep our eyes on you. And we are going to persevere. We're going to keep moving forward, Lord. We're going to keep moving forward in Christ. We're not going to listen to the naysayers, the critics. We're going to be focused on the word of God and listen to the the Lord himself speaking hope into our life. Friends, this is a series not on everything's going to go great in life. This is a real life series where we are talking about how, like Nehemiah did, to find the road back, the recovery, the redemption story, the chapter that's still to be written in our life because with Christ there is great hope. Now I know there are those also within the sound of my voice here today, online or in person, that if the truth be known, today the biggest step you need to take is to commit your life to Jesus Christ or to recommit your life to Christ. Maybe you've known him in years gone by, but you've kind of drifted away. But today you're committing your life to Jesus. Just like these incredible friends that uh, made a public declaration of faith through water baptism, today is your day to say, Lord, come into my life. Forgive me my sins. I want to follow you. Pray that simple prayer. Lord, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I want to follow you. Or maybe it's a prayer of recommitment. Today, I recommit my life to follow you. If that's you, would you tell me about it? You've got that connection card. Just fill it out and say, hey, today I prayed to commit my life to Christ or recommit my life to Christ. There's one for everybody online as well. And for those of you going through seasons of challenge or uh, adversity or trials or opposition, I invite you to take that connection card and just let us know what we can pray with you about. We have an incredible prayer team that really cares about you and praying for your needs. Lord, 
As we prepare to close this service, I just pray in Christ's name that you'll build our faith, you'll strengthen our resolve, and you'll give us hope, God, to move forward in Christ Jesus. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. I'm going to invite everybody to stand here in the worship center and in the chaplain online. Our host pastors will close our services in a meaningful way. I'd like to invite our prayer team to come down. And uh, as we sing this song, uh, if you would like someone to pray with you, we believe in the power of prayer. We would love to pray with you. Let's sing and then we'll dismiss in just a moment. Let's sing together.